Oh, I, I have half a table. You get half today. Awesome. And your half is bigger. Good morning. <laughs> wow. This is the way we're starting off here. My name's Brooks. This is Brett. Brooks and Brett. Mm -hmm. It sounds legendary. It sounds like a radio show today, but <laughs> we will be talking today to conclude our series called Home for the Holidays, uh, where through the last few weeks we've been talking about our church as if it were a home a place where we guide everyday people into a Christ-following family. And we, we've talked about family and what that looks like at home. And uh, we've defined that family by a few different loves. Last week, we talked about our love for God. And the week before, though, we talked about our love of neighbor. And today, we're going to talk about loving one another as we've demonstrated by fighting over the table already. John said, yeah, <laughs> great. I'm sitting down then going to be a long morning. <laughs> uh, John says, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. So imagine, if Southside's like a loving home, then John says, imagine it's like a, a kitchen. Okay, now in my mind, a kitchen is kind of a magical place in your house. It's like the, the heartbeat of the house where your closest friends and family Gather. Have you ever had that experience where it's like they come around the kitchen counter or maybe you've got a kitchen table? That's like friends of friends. That's where real conversations happening where people really love each other deeply. So we want to use that image of a kitchen to talk about loving one another today. And uh, <laughs> hey, my number one fan. Connor's here. Well, tell us a little bit about your kitchen then, kind of growing up. Did you love, up, what did you love about the kitchen? You know, what I remember, a lot of people have crock pots. We had a stock pot, and it was this huge pot that my mom would bring out in the middle of the winter, and she would start filling it with vegetables, or maybe she'd make chili, or uh, a mystery meat of some kind would go in there. Mm -hmm. And she would make this till it was just almost overflowing, this soup or this stew, and then suddenly... My sisters would show up, and their husbands would show up, and pretty soon we were eating off of that thing all together as one big family. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I remember my kitchen was kind of a, a hub of our home. For some reason, it felt like everything went through the kitchen, and um, I, I have lots of memories of mom cooking there, you know, family around the kitchen table, but my dad would be there every morning reading a newspaper. Do you guys remember newspapers? <laughs> yeah? Uh, he would read the newspaper there in the kitchen. It did get me to thinking how many of us uh, remember some of these things in, in kitchens or maybe around kitchens. Let's see if uh, you had some of these experiences. Like, um, let's see this first picture up here. How many of you had like a phone around or in the kitchen maybe that had the, and then you had the super long, yeah, so you cord so you could, you could do that. How many of you had this uh, crock pot? How did everybody have that exact same crock pot? I don't know. Ours was missing a leg. Okay. And you had to put something under it to balance. Okay. <laughs> Life in Kansas, Illinois, right? Yeah, yeah. I understand. Okay, well, how about, how about this? Anybody have ah. that thing? Well, we had that too. What is that? Electric skillet. It's like a, yeah, hot, yeah, skillet. I just remember we made hamburgers, I think, on it or something. You've not had fried chicken until it's come out of them. Okay, all right. 
How many of you had uh, had these exact yes. salt and pepper? Everybody. I, I don't. I wish I had stock in that company in 1987 or something. Uh, let's see. How about this one? How many of you knew somebody who had a kitchen floor? Okay. Uh, again, everybody seemed to have that. Or maybe maybe this too. Um, did you know somebody who had like that kind of kitchen table? Ours was yellow, but not originally. <laughs> they were going to learn lots about you today. <laughs> oh, my goodness. People under the age of 40 right now have no idea what we're talking about. So, um, the phone cord really got them. Yeah, yeah, that was called a phone. Well, the kitchen, again, in my mind, as we think about it today, is this sort of magical place where uh, people come together, where you, you share good news with each other, where you cry over calamity, where you, uh, it's just, it's like the deepest place uh, in your home. And this is where, when we talk about as a church family, we want to care for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, we gather around tables in our lives to share our lives in Christ, to share our struggles, to share our concerns, our prayer requests, things like that. Uh, we want to be a place where everyone has someone, and it looks a little bit like, in our imagination, like a kitchen. Again, John says by this, everyone will know you're my disciples, Jesus said, if you love one another. Um, so followers of Jesus, we love each other for the long haul. That's a part of what it means to be a part of the church family. And uh, you know that kind of faithfulness to family can be a little challenging at times. Many of us we may even experience that this week specifically around the Thanksgiving table. You're going to have family, perhaps friends, gather around a table. Uh, some family you haven't seen for a while. Some families just plain weird awkward, political, needy, Cubs fans, you know, I mean, just all kinds of different elements around the table. Family's iffy. But when it comes to family, when it comes to church family, we love one another anyway. Uh, again, John will write later, uh, this is the message you've heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Okay, well, let's talk practically for a second, Brett. Mm. What does loving one another look like maybe even this week? Uh, it looks like uh, if, if Uncle Bill is at dinner and he starts talking about politics, you smile and nod, and then you change the subject. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's practical. It's like, it's like putting away the ham when your vegan niece comes over for dinner and you're trying to, like, love her. It's like after dinner when Trish wants to watch football and there's a perfectly good Indiana Jones marathon on, I let her watch football and I go to the other room and, and fall asleep watching Indiana Jones. Wow. <laughs> truly loving. <laughs> truly loving. That is the rule of the kitchen when we talk about the church family is, is love. In fact, uh, we believe when loving one another is uh, something that fills our church home, then no one should have to ask, can God love even me? When loving our, one another fills our home. So I want to talk a little bit about the, the kind of the space of the kitchen today, what it means if uh, love for each other flows over here at Southside. Uh, and I want to do that from 1 John chapter 3. So let me, let me read that for you, 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 11. Uh, John says, for this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. 
Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if this world hates you. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love each other. Uh, John says, this is the message you've heard from the very beginning. Now, in his mind, I think he's describing the beginning of their Christian journey to those he's writing to. You've heard this from the beginning. And my guess is if you've been a part of, uh, of the Christian faith, you followed Jesus for a while, you've heard this message from the beginning as well. Love is the key. For God so loved the world. This is the message. But then John also brings up Cain, which leads me to believe he's also maybe thinking about love is not just the beginning of our Christian journey. Love is the beginning of the human journey from the creation of humanity. He talks about this. And you know, in the beginning, Adam and Eve were born, uh, were created by God in this garden home. Uh, they walked with him in the cool of the day, but then they rebelled against his word in their sin. And then all of a sudden, um, they, they hid from God. They blamed each other. And again, my guess is we've experienced that at some level in our world too, where you've hidden from God. You've blamed other people for your rebellion. And Adam and Eve were removed from the garden. And then in Genesis 4, we get this story where God's mercy is made real in the life of these human beings, where Adam and Eve have this family, and they're seeking now to live what one author calls to live graciously ever after. Uh, they have a couple of sons. Abel's the oldest. Cain's the youngest. Abel is a shepherd. Cain's a farmer. They bring offerings to God. Abel brings the best portions of his animals to God. Cain brings some of the produce of the land. And God shows his favor to Abel and his heart and his sacrifice, and Cain gets angry. And so our gracious father has a conversation with Cain in uh, Genesis 4. Verses 6 and 7, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you you must rule over it. Hmm. Sin, sin which rose up and bit Cain's parents, is now threatening to bite Cain himself. And that's exactly what happens. Cain murders his brother Abel. Now, John, as he's describing this old story, even uses very graphic language, brutal language. Cain uh, sfadzo his brother. He butchered him. He, he slit his throat. This is an evil act. And yet God, once again, runs to his children in their sin and rebellion instead of away from them. God comes to him in conversation. He says, where is your brother Abel? This sounds a whole lot like when God came to Adam and Eve in their sin and rebellion when he asked, where are you? And at this point, these two acts of disobedience are linked together. But whereas Adam admitted to his crime... Cain doubles down in his rebellion. He says, I don't know. <laughs> really? And then he says this, am I my brother's keeper? Would you say that with me? Am I my brother's keeper? I think, I think Cain actually expected a negative response from God. 
I think he expected God to say, oh, no, of course not. Abel is his own man. And besides, I'm the chief shepherd of all people over everyone. You, you don't have to care for, you don't have to watch over each other. That, I think that's what, he's, what he expected. And maybe that's what we expect too, especially when it comes to the church. My guess is some of you think, love one another, isn't that God's job? I'm just here to, to learn something. I'm here to be inspired or, or to deepen my faith. And if I don't get that, I'm going to find some place where I can. But digging in to love one another over the long haul, that's not my job. That's the pastor's job. That's Brett's job. That's the elder's job. That's God's job. Am I my brother's keeper? No, of course not. That's what Cain, I think, expected to hear. Instead, God makes it clear, no, in fact, you are your brother's keeper. Just as Adam was appointed keeper, that's the word of the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2, he was the, the shomer, the one to take care of and to love over the long haul, the Garden of Eden. So Cain, same Hebrew word, shomer, was to care for his brother. And so are we. We should love one another. That's the kitchen space of our church home. It means... Uh, as Dallas Willard put it, to will the good of other people. That's what we do here for each other. Hatred from the world will always be there. John says, don't be surprised by that. Hatred and division will always have space in our lives. However, in our church family, we have to create space for loving one another. And then when we do that, John says, we, we move from death to life. We pass out of death into life. This happens, I think, in the kitchen space, because when loving one another fills our church home, then no one should have to ask, can God love me? Because you'll know. Now, how do we do that here? We, we try lots of different ways. We encourage all kinds of table fellowships. Even this morning, we're sharing a table, you and I. Thank you. We share tables around small groups. We share tables in family dinners together to, to get to know each other, to love each other where we are. And, and my guess is if you invest in people in relationship in this place, if you love one another, you will have some of the most deeply impactful relationships you could ever imagine. I've seen it. I've seen people go through terrible life circumstances. I've seen people walk through cancer together. I've seen people comfort each other at the death of a spouse or a child or a parent I've seen people in this church vacation together. They didn't invite me. But I've seen it. I've seen hearts at home and loving one another uh, like a kitchen cabinet. I'm going to use that metaphor for just a moment. Brett brought this up to me last week. Um, maybe you remember some of this in history class when way back when, but President Andrew Jackson, our seventh U.S. president, was embroiled in a, a problem with his cabinet members called the Petticoat Affair. Do you remember this from history class? Jamie does. That's great. Well, I'll just keep going. <laughs> his cabinet members, and especially their wives, sort of got kind of gossipy with each other, and there was the Secretary of War and his wife, Peggy Eaton, and they didn't really like her that much. Peggy was, she was a little uncouth. She was a little forward. She was, um, she was from questionable history. They didn't invite her over. They didn't, they didn't uh, you know, make her a part of their kind of inner circle of cabinet member and wives. And so they tried to push her out. And all of this hatred and division ended up causing the forced resignation of the entire cabinet, save one. Even the vice president resigned. <clears throat> 
And so Andrew Jackson, instead of having cabinet meetings, started meeting with his friends in what was coined the, uh, the kitchen cabinet. Kitchen cabinet. And the truth is, you need one of those. Because while the world is raging around us in hostility and division and all kinds of things, you need people that you can count on to create space for your own kitchen cabinet, to love one another. That's the space of the kitchen. Why don't we talk for a minute, Brett? We'll let you talk this morning, too. Thanks. About the contents yeah. of the kitchen. I need a few more kitchen cabinets. We, we love our new home here in Springfield. We're uh, getting moved in. I'm so thankful for Brad Duzan helped me move some, other, some more stuff in yesterday. And we're getting there. We're getting a little bit by little bit. We love our home. We love our new neighborhood. Uh, we love our new, the new house. But what we found is there's just a little less space in the new kitchen than there was in the old kitchen. And so that's led to some choices that we've had to make. What do we keep? What do we do without? What needs to come with us? And what do we just scrap? And I, I happen to love kitchen gadgets. I am a sucker for those commercials, you know, the new ones, the you know, kitchen gadget that you need. And, the and magic, I, magic bullet? The magic bullet. I still don't have one of those. If okay. you're looking for a housewarming gift, you know, <laughs> I don't have room for it, but I will make room. But I love my kitchen gadgets. I brought one with me. I brought my, I brought my garlic press with me today. You may have noticed when I walked in. Can you smell my garlic press? Yeah. yeah. I love my garlic press. But it, like a lot of kitchen gadgets, a garlic press is a one-use item. It does one thing. It does it well, but it just does one thing. Do you know what a garlic press does? Brooks? I'm not very good in a kitchen. So. It, does anyone know what a garlic press does? It Presses. It presses garlic right there. There you go. You put a couple cloves of garlic in there. You push that down. You give it a squeeze. You scrape it off with a knife, and the smells just come alive. It's amazing. Now, I know that I can take a cutting board, and I can lay a clove of garlic under the cutting board and take the flat edge of a knife and go, bam, instant pressed garlic. But I love my garlic press, <laughs> and I want my garlic press. I, I want to use my garlic press. I need my garlic press. All the cool chefs on TV and the Internet mm. have garlic presses. There's, so much, there's only so much room in our kitchen. There's only so much space in our home, so we have to make choices. What's important? There's only so much space in our lives, and so that leads to some necessary choices. Is it what's more important? What do I keep? Is it more important that I get my way? <laughs> yes. Wow. Is it more important? Is it more important that, that I get my preferences? Is it more important that people like Uncle Bill with his opinions don't offend me? And I don't have to listen to those because they're different than mine. But you see, when, when love is the priority, it ensures that what we choose to hold on to will enable others to see Christ through us and through our love for them. Brooks, Brooks has already read it for us. 1 John 3, 11, This is the message you heard from the beginning. This is priority. This is front and center. It belongs in the big big cabinet right there in the middle in the drawer where everyone can reach it this is priority we should love one another and in doing so it's not just that i make room for you you become the priority you become the focus of how my love for god is seen in this world and as a result you are all the more certain of god's love for you because you are a priority in my life do we understand how many people in our lives need that assurance? 
that God loves even them. Not just that we love them, but that they are loved by God. And and John pulls on that thread. He teases it out a little bit. Goes on into chapter 4, 1 John 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. No one has ever seen God. You, You hear that and you can't help but go back to Moses on the mountain asking God, I want to see your face. And God says those words, no man may see my face and live. You hear the terror in a statement like that. You understand the fear and the cowering. You understand generations later, Elijah on the same mountain, cowering there in the, in the cleft of the rock as he hides his face from God. But, but with, when love one another, it becomes the priority. When you become the priority, as John reminds us, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Us. That's the key. In fact, it's there over and over again. In this translation, six times the word us is scattered over six verses. That sounds important to me. It puts us on equal ground. Let us love one another means I am my brother's keeper. Or as we said back home, it's my day to watch him. It's not my day to watch him. (laughs) You are my I am my brother's keeper, you are my keeper. And if any one of us is going to grasp God's presence, His love for us, it cannot be without understanding our love for them, our care for them, our, our, our concern, our kindness, our compassion directed to each other. Everyone who loves has been born of God. If we are to bear His likeness, to bear His image, ultimately it's seen in our love for each other. One more time, back to verses 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You you don't hear those verses without echoes of John 3.16, do you? For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. In Jesus, God came near. In Jesus, God showed up. As Eugene Peterson puts it in chapter 1 of John in the message, he says, God moved into our neighborhood. I think about that as I'm moving into my neighborhood. I'm thinking about that. I know God didn't have to choose. What does he keep? What does he do without? But isn't it wonderful that he chose love for us as the centerpiece for moving into our neighborhood? John's conclusion for you and me is since God so loved us, we ought to love one another so that without fear, without cowering in his presence, those around us know his love, and that through our love, they are drawn into God's presence. It was about a year ago, I walked into the kitchen, and we had leftover chicken, and we had hoagie rolls for some reason, and I began to have visions of what I was going to call a Philly chicken and cheese sandwich. I'm sure I didn't invent it, but it sounded wonderful. (laughs) 
And so I chopped the chicken up into little pieces. I put that in the skillet. I found some peppers and some onions. I chopped them up. I put them in the skillet. I let them start getting brown. I spread them out. I put a glug of of avocado oil in the middle. I grabbed my trusty garlic press. Was it one clove or two? You know, I don't even remember myself. (laughs) You know, I, I don't remember how many because... You don't measure garlic with a recipe. You measure garlic with your heart. Don't ever forget that. You measure garlic with your heart. I put those cloves in there. I closed it down. I took my knife and I scraped it into the pan and the fragrance came up. And then I was aware suddenly of something in the corner of my eye, something in the edge of the kitchen. And I looked over and there was my wife, Trish, and my daughter, Grace, both of them looking around the corner. (laughs) And they looked at me and they said, what what you doing? There's the smell of garlic in our home. That's that's cooking when you know the garlic. And they, they said, What what you making? Now that's different because Connor just walks in with a plate and hands you the plate. No words, but you know what it means. That's mine. That's what I do too. That's Actually, what you do yeah, too. Yeah. That's what the fragrance of cooking does in our house, probably in yours, it brings people. Uh, They come running to see what's in the kitchen, what's being offered there. That's what love one another should do. Whether it's in the kitchen, whether it's in our church, whether it's in the lives of our friends, definitely if it's in the heart of those who are hurting. When we love others, we let them know that God loves them, that He is not distant, that He is not aloof, He's not uncaring, He's not the big scary monster on the mountain, but He's present. They know it, they feel it, they sense it. (laughs) Maybe they even smell it. The rule of the kitchen is love. And in fact, when love one another fills our church home, then no one should have to ask, can God love even me? Mm. Take us home, Brooks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have an opportunity today uh, to practice some kitchen creativity. I think when you came in, you saw a little house on your seat. If you'll take that out this, uh, this morning, we want to invite you to exhibit this kind of behavior this week. And essentially, we want to invite you over the next few minutes to take a pencil out in front of you and the seats in front of you or a pen and write on the home uh, the name or maybe the initials of a brother or sister in Jesus that you intend to very practically love this week. Maybe they need a note of encouragement. Maybe you need to reach out to them and call. Maybe you can help them in some way or pray through uh, something in their life with them. Maybe you help set up their Thanksgiving meal. I I don't know. Something that you can do that would tangibly express this kind of love for each other. And as you do that this morning, uh, after our service is over, we've got a little area right across from our welcome center where we invite you to take this little house and pin it up there, clip it up on the wall as a a picture of our family values that we will pursue loving one another until every heart in Springfield and beyond, every heart feels at home in Jesus Christ. So while you're thinking about a name or maybe about an act of love that you can perform this week, uh, why don't we take a moment, listen to a Southsider in this, this video and some of the love that she felt in a kitchen space.